Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 166. The U.S. Open always seems to deliver, and despite no fans, despite COVID, it had intrigue, it had drama, and it's definitely going to be a championship that will be discussed and debated for years to come. Bryson DeChambeau is your champion. I'm still putting some thoughts together, and I have a unique episode coming up later this week. Might get released next week. We'll see. But my guest and I will discuss all things Wingfoot, Bryson, Tiger, Phil, Wolf, everything. And it'll be a very unique episode. As I said, you don't want to miss it. I got to be honest with you. I was um, I bit off a little bit more than I could chew last week. Um, I published six episodes in one week. I think that's a record. Uh, I, I was definitely gassed by Friday, which was why I stayed out of the studio all weekend. And instead, I just played some golf before the coverage started. Six might be the limit. Not sure I'm going to do that again. But if you did not have a chance to listen to them all, please do. I'm very proud of these episodes and so thankful for the guests that took the time to speak with me. I mean, Dan Hicks kicked it off. Butch Harmon was the second episode. Then I was able to catch up with John Augenstein and Lucas Michelle right before they teed off on Thursday, giving us great insight to their practice rounds. And then Hale Irwin. I mean, 1974 U.S. Open champion. He's the guy that survived the original massacre at Wingfoot. And I thought that was it. I thought we were done. And then I threw a Hail Mary to the USGA. They hooked me up. And I got to talk to Michael O'Keefe the guy that played Danny Noonan in Caddyshack. Um, for anyone that loves that movie, I'm sure you all do. Uh, I've talked to some incredible guests and incredible people throughout the history of this podcast. I sat across from Jack Nicholas in his office. I sat in Bob Tosky's living room. But hey, I talked to Danny Noonan. So go listen to those episodes. They're incredible. Uh, again, really thankful to the to the guests that took the time to speak with me. Don't forget, every single episode is available in Apple Podcasts, in Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can get to those by going to the website, thebackoftherange.com. You know we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, just make sure you're following along because I'm posting all sorts of interesting things all the time. Some new merch just arrived yesterday. I have the logo face coverings. These are uh, microfiber coverings with the Back of the Range Golf Podcast logo on them. Uh, they're very comfortable as opposed to masks that you got to kind of hook over your ears. They were giving these things out at the U.S. Amateur. Uh, I snagged a couple of them and I was like, wow, these are so much more comfortable than wearing a mask. You just kind of put it around your neck and pull it up when you need to. So I have these in stock. Best way to get them is obviously just go to the website, thebackoftherange.com, or send me a message, ben at thebackoftherange.com. You can shoot me an email there or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. But I'm selling them three for 15 bucks. Uh, they're really good. You can wash them. Again, I'm not getting into the face mask business. But again, if you want to show some support of the podcast, please do. Um, yeah, so that's all I got to say about that. So, on to this week's episode. 
I gotta be honest, I was a little concerned about my amateurs at Wingfoot. Now, not that they don't have the incredible skill that they do, and I think many of them are going to thrive at the next level, but it's Wingfoot, and it's the U.S. Open, and I did not know how many of them would be able to make the cut. And that's tough for me to say, because you know if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, I'm all about the amateurs. I'm always pulling for them. This podcast, if it had a mission statement, it would be first and foremost to elevate the amateurs and the amateur game. So when my guy John Pock made the cut at plus five, I was thrilled for him and thrilled for amateur golf. I've really enjoyed getting to know John. We had a lot of fun at the Walker Cup, a lot of fun at the USAM. Just a solid guy. He's always down for a chat. And when you have the week that he had, where you make the cut at your first major, you meet your idol, Tiger Woods, you're getting words of wisdom from Bryson DeChambeau, I am sure he is going to remember this week for the rest of his life, and I'm glad that we had some time to talk about it. So let's get this episode started. John, welcome again to the back of the range. And um, have you made it back down to Earth yet? Are you doing okay? Oh, I'm on planet Earth. I, I'm going back to school, going to do my uh, my own thing at school and get ready for, uh, I guess, well, I don't really have much to do, so I'll just... <laughs> Nothing, nothing brings you back down to earth after being low am at the U.S. Open like some sort of a a test or a project that you have to do for for, for college classes, right? You're not wrong. I have a I have a lot of schoolwork to catch up on, and it just doesn't sound like fun. But you know, you gotta do what you gotta do to stay eligible, right? <laughs> hey, you get well. Hey, that the, the FSU needs you, man. I know that ACC isn't going to have a have any golf this fall, at least for now. I'm you know who knows when things can possibly change, but. You know, you got to get ready for that spring and a run at a national championship. So, like, before we talk a little bit about your week, have you thought about how you're going to actually go about, you know, obviously taking care of classes, but, you know, managing your golf game and staying sharp so that when tournaments do start back up again, you're ready? Like, how, do you have you thought about how you're going to do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to meet with my coaches at school and set up a plan for, I mean, I'm still playing that little uh, mid-am team event at Merido and I still got the Palmer Cup. So I've got some things to prep for. And uh, yeah, I'm going to sit down with my coaches, create a plan, try to get stronger, work on my putting, because I feel like those were the two things that, you know, kind of separated me from the rest of the field this past week. So those are the main things I'm going to work on. And obviously, I'm uh, – I'm thinking about turning pro after the school year ends, so I'm going to start, you know, figuring out a plan for that. So I've actually got a few things I need to do, but it's really not a whole lot of tournament golf, which is different from what I'm usually doing. Yeah, because you were on really a hell of a run. I mean, I'm just thinking back to a year ago, you know, of all the amateurs that were making a run at the Walker Cup team at Hoylake last year, it seemed like you were the one that was playing the most amount of tournaments and I still can't believe that's only a year ago. Uh, you, you know, you go three and zero at Walker Cup, and here you are a year later with another, another trophy, so to speak, from the USGA as the low amateur. I mean, I just saw you at Bandon Dunes. You mentioned your putting. You know, we were kind of joking around. I was on the putting green with you, and and you were. I was trying to shoot a video of you making a putt, and you're like, oh, "We're going to be here for a while." And you know, you just you, you didn't make the cut there, and you kind of felt like you were a little bit down on your game. 
Uh, I know we spoke about this earlier in the week, but what did you kind of do to kind of get yourself in a position to be successful at Wingfoot? You know, I, I don't feel like my game was in a bad spot at Bandon Dunes. I, I wasn't in a good spot mentally, and I think that's kind of what, you know, hurt me there because I was – my sole focus was to play well so I could get into the U.S. Open. And right. with that kind of mindset, you're not going to – it's going to be tough to play some good golf. You know, I've, I've played many tournaments with the mindset of just play your game and do what you got to do, and it, the rest will work on its own. But this – at the Western Am and the US Am, I was just like, oh, you have to play well. You have to, or you're going to miss your chance at playing at the US Open. So, right. played with a lot of pressure on my shoulders. And uh, I just, I felt like that was the biggest issue I had. So, when I went to the US Open, uh, I, I had nothing to lose. Right. Uh, you know, a lot of people were saying, are you playing with house money? I'm like, you're, you're totally right. I've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. So, I played with a lot more comfortably. And I think that's, that was the difference maker between the USM and the US Open because, you know, I'd like to think it's it's harder to make the cut at the US Open than it is at the USM. Oh yeah, I would say so. We're gonna I'm gonna ask you about the whole cut situation because uh, a lot of you know, a lot of people watching the cut line, but we'll get to that in one second. But the thing I wanted to ask you, you know, a lot of the interviews that you did, you know, a lot of it was about what you learned throughout the week, and. I mean, can you pinpoint even just one example of something that you really learned? I mean, obviously you learned you could compete at the the highest level, you know, the only amateur to make the cut. And obviously your name was above a lot of other bigger names like Tiger and Phil. And um, But, you know, as far as moving forward to prepare you for, for the rest of your collegiate career, amateur career, and starting a professional, maybe what's one thing you learned uh, that you can take with you? So, yeah, obviously I, I learned that. You know, making the cut proves that my game is at a place where I, I compete against the best. But I've also learned that even though, you know, I did make the cut, I, I still got a long way ahead of me to get where I really want to be. And that's to play these guys on a week-to-week basis. And, you know, that's been my goal for my whole life as long as I could remember. So, you know, I just I, I want to work harder, get better, get stronger get tougher mentally and you know I, I kind of I felt like I learned that that's what these guys do really well and that's what really separates us from you know me being a still in a, a college senior and you know obviously Matt Wolf's been one of those guys that have been terrific and you know he, he's been out on tour for almost a year and a half and has been really successful I mean he's just there's just certain things that separate the two of us. And I learned that I still need to be a little bit better. So I, I definitely got a little more motivated after this week. Yeah. And that's something I took from this, but uh, it's so you, you see what I'm saying? Like I, I oh, gained yeah. the confidence. I gained the confidence because I made the cut, but I still learned that I need to be better if I want to do this on a week to week basis. Well, it's also great, like you said, you make the cut and it gets you there. It it keeps you there for two more days of you just absorbing, like, oh, okay, I didn't just shoot two seventy eights, got my hat in the pro shop and took off, and okay, that was neat. You actually got thrown in there. We're like, okay, I made the cut. That's great, but wow, I really do see now the the difference, and I think that's great that you that it provides you with the opportunity to learn and to move forward. You. 
Let's let's have a little more fun though here. I mean, you still had the fan moments where you got to be in the roads with these pros. I caught a glimpse on Golf Channel. They're doing, I think, like a live from the US Open and I think it was maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, but there's there's Bryson hitting his driver. He's got the track man and the, you know, sixty four ounce bottle of uh, protein shake set up. And then, you know, Tiger shuffles in there to hit a few. And there in the background is John Pock just watching that whole thing uh take place. Do you remember that? Yeah. So <laughs> my cat, my friend, his, his name is Billy, yeah. really good friend of mine. I had him on the bag and I told him, you ever see Tiger Woods on the range? You put that back right next to him. I told him that. And, uh, you know, Tiger's my favorite golfer. I, sure. I grew up on, I, I met him a couple years ago. So, yeah, I, I mean, Obviously, I, I came there to play golf, but it was so cool seeing all those guys right in the heat of the moment, working on their game, trying to win a major championship. So, you know, I was so excited to be there. But, yeah, I, I told I told my caddy, put put the bag next to Tiger. We're going to watch him golf on. <laughs> what? Uh, so, obviously, I'm guessing since you were, you know, low-key stalking him the entire week, uh, you must have had some chance. <laughs> You must have some chance to at least talk to Tiger at some point, right? I did. I uh, so I I told myself before I got there is like John, just try to gain as much information as you can. I, you know, try to talk to these guys, try to ask them for some advice. So I went up to the first person was Bryson. I talked to Bryson, and uh, you know, Bryson such a nice guy. He he stopped what he was doing. I I. I, I kind of interrupted him when I was talking to someone kind of felt bad, but then he stopped what he was doing. It took like 15 minutes of his time just to, just to talk to me. You know, I just asked for some advice and you know how Bryson is. He's always trying to put the science behind everything. Uh -huh. And, you know, basically he told me learn a way to be consistent. And it took him 15 minutes to say, it, and he brought all these, just all the science behind it. It was pretty funny, but Really, really cool to see, you know, his thought process behind all of that. And, uh, yeah, so Bryson was the first guy I talked to. And then, coincidentally, I wasn't stalking Tiger, but we were just walking. Both of us were walking to the parking lot to our cars. And I saw Tiger, and I was like, okay, I I've got to say something. I have to. So I walk up to him and be like, hey, Tiger, John Pack, uh, my first major, and uh, – you know, I'm pretty nervous to be here. What's some advice you can give to someone like me? And uh, you told me to just stay patient. You know, bogeys aren't going to kill you. And, you know, it's one of the toughest golf courses they play all year. So just stay as patient as you can out there. And then, uh, obviously, I'm, I'm a big – I like to play video games every once in a while. And I've heard that Tiger Woods plays Call of Duty. So I asked him about – I asked him what his kill-death ratio in Call of Duty was. And – He's like, what? No, I I don't play in the online. That stuff's way too hard for me. And uh, I thought that was pretty funny. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm just imagining just you just rolling out to the parking lot talking about video games with Tiger Woods. Um, yeah. Um, more. Let's see. More nervous. Um, introducing yourself to Tiger Woods or or asking your girlfriend out for the first time. Tiger Woods, hundred <laughs> percent. That's okay. She's that's a good that's a good second place that she picked up. That's okay. Um, the thing about 
my, my girlfriend's very easygoing. Tiger, you know, I, it's just, it's a different kind of nervous. And that, yeah. I don't know. He, he's got that intimidating factor about him. Yeah. Best golfer of all time. Yeah, so. yeah, you're probably not getting that kind of a stare from the girlfriend. So, um, no, not at all. <laughs> what, um, all right. So I want to ask you, this is something that I was thinking about the entire time is that, you know, the, so much of the discussion on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was how big, bad wing foot was just going to kick the crap out of everyone. And just seemed like everyone, the whole narrative was just going down this whole dark path of, you know, eight over is going to win and it's going to be, and then JT goes out with 65 and Reed is 66. There's two hole in ones. Uh, Davis Thompson had it going really low early. You know, you shoot a 69. Do you remember perhaps a discussion you had with, with, uh, with Billy or at some point where you, maybe the switch was turned on. You're like, Hey, you know, um, we, we can actually go play some golf out here. Uh, we don't have to just, resign ourselves to a pair of 80s i mean we can go do this do you remember maybe during the practice rounds or even thursday morning when it was like hey we can actually do this yeah you know when we got there i always had that mind you know i I go to every tournament to win okay i feel like as editor everyone should have that mindset and uh you know so i i guess that mindset was already there before I even got there. Um, but obviously I want to stay humble and just obviously I say, I want to do as best as I can, but in my mind, I'm like, John, you can win this. If you play well, if you have a great week, you can win this too. You know, you've worked, you worked your whole life for it. And, uh, I guess that first round, it, it was pretty soft. There wasn't a breath of wind. So, you know, one under, was was very doable out there you know five under obviously you needed to have to play a fantastic round but it, it was doable out there and you know i always thought that i had that in my game throughout the whole week i was there yeah i just thought it was interesting how and maybe it just how the media was covering it and perhaps you know that's interesting to know that you know not just you but i'm sure everyone else was like look we're the media can say whatever they want to but we're the ones that actually got to go play it um Exactly. Yeah, and and you you made the cut at plus five. You know the cut was uh, was you know plus six got in, and man, I was watching that the entire afternoon. I'm thinking, okay, this cut has to keep going up to seven, eight, and nine. I think uh, uh, Ogletree was at nine, and a couple other amateurs were at eight. I'm thinking, okay, there's going to be more, and that cut just did not go up. Were you feeling yeah. Were you feeling pretty good at plus five, or what? What was your afternoon like? I, on 18, I, I made a par and I was like, oh man, I don't know if that's good enough. And I get into the clubhouse, I'm tied for 85th. Right. And it's top 60 of ties. And then at the end of the day, I was tied for 32nd, I think. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, how did that happen? Right. And, and it was so bunched up there that I guess, you know, I, I I thought seven over may have, you know, crept in there, was probably going to creep in there, but it, it didn't happen. And, you know, I was kind of shocked that at first I was like, oh, there's no chance at five over. And then as a, as a day went on, I was like, oh, wait, no, this is, this is looking great. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, maybe about 10 minutes after I finished my round, I was like, oh, yeah, I think I'm good. That's awesome. Well, you know, another thing, you talk about setting goals and learning things from the week. Once you find out you're the you're the only 
amateur that makes the cut, you know right then, I mean, you know Friday night that you're going to be with the champion Sunday evening where he's getting a trophy and you're getting a medal, and that's already determined before you ever peg it on Saturday morning. How do you kind of set a goal for 36 holes knowing that, hey, I'm the low am, I got that wrapped up. What were your goals for the rest of the weekend? You know, I'm a little disappointed how I played on Saturday because I played with such an empty mind, so free, right? no pressure. And, you know, I I got a couple bad breaks and I just putted horribly. And, you know, at, at wing foot, kind of, I think Matt, Matt, Matt Wolf said it, you kind of need to get lucky out there. You got to draw some lies and, Got a couple bad lies, and I just once you get it going wrong one way, the bad way out there, it's hard to get back on track and you know stop the bleeding. So I, I'm a little disappointed how I play with Saturday with you know having such a free you know mindset, but you know I'm it, it is what it is. Golf's such a hard game, and when you put such a tough golf course, it, it it's so easily doable to shoot a high number out there you know oh yeah yeah and you talk about getting bad breaks or just kind of getting lucky you know with looking at the rough and and how you handled that throughout the week how every player handled it you know i don't think i've ever played anything that thick you know i've played up in northeast at orcola and north jersey and and i've been fortunate to play some other clubs up there where it's a lot different than bermuda rough but you know my my biggest fear would always be catching a heater, catching a flyer where that goes, you know, obviously past the pin or worse, you know, over the green. I'm not going to ask you about every single shot, but can you maybe just for me or for a listener, just can you walk me through it? You and Billy hitting a shot out of the rough and all the calculation that would go into basically leaving yourself something that would allow you to make par. Like how did, yeah. how did you know, uh, you know, how do you know? I mean, I know there was a couple shots that, Maybe you try to get a little too much out of, and it just kind of squirted into the fairway. But I'm guessing you're saying, okay, I just I can't have a flyer here. I need to not go long. Yeah. So there was no such a thing as a flyer out there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Once did I worry about? Oh, I'm I'm in the rough. It could you know get a no spinner. It might go over the green. Now every time I was in the rough, the thing I had to worry about was making sure I you know. I can at least advance at a hundred yards. Okay. It was it was brutal out there, and it was so thick that uh, it was hard to catch ball first. And on the first hole, I think um, I missed the fairway all. Uh, I think every uh, three of the four days, and two of the times there's a bunker about forty yards, fifty yards out in the middle of the fairway, so. I couldn't just chunk one out and run it up on the green. I, I took a wedge and laid up to a hundred yards and just try to get up and down from there. And it's kind of incredible because there's not a single golf course I've ever played where I was in a rough three yards in and I had to lay up to a hundred yards because I couldn't go for the green. And that that's never happened to me. And I don't know if you saw the video, but on the eighth hole out there, I tried to hit an eight iron out of the rough onto the green and I dribbled it like 40 yards in front of me. And it was pretty funny. <laughs> and the announcer was like, Oh boy, whoa, what was that? And I was like, yeah, but you can't really see it on TV, but I had an awful line. I was trying to hack it out of there. And 
um, yeah, we had to uh, we had to make sure there's a couple cross bunkers that are short of the green, from like 40, 50 yards out. You don't want a 40, 50 yard bunker shot. So we had to lay up to like a hundred yards out and just try to hit a full wedge and hopefully get up and down. So I, I did that a few times, and uh, yeah, it, it's weird that on a par four, we had to lay up to that yardage. I've never done that before. Yeah. Well, you had, you had some pretty nice stats throughout the week. I mean, you, you tied 12 in driving accuracy and you're right in the middle on distance and tied for 24th in greens regulation and actually fourth in proximity. Not sure if you're aware of that. Uh, you mentioned your struggling. Oh, really? Yeah. You mentioned you're struggling with putting. I'm not going to mention your putting stats, but you can figure out. What <laughs> you can figure I already, out. I I already saw it. I saw it. <laughs> well, yeah, I adore it. I saw that. Hey, that's okay. I'm talking to John Pock, low amateur in the U.S. Open. We'll just move on. So, um, But let me ask you a couple before I let you go. Talk to me a little bit at this great moment. Like I said, you knew you were going to be at that award ceremony at the very end with the champion. You're there with Bryson. You're both wearing these medals that signify your accomplishments for the week. I know there's a lot of commotion and people dragging him in different directions and dragging you in different directions, but you start the week off talking to Bryson as the first person that really took the time to, to give you a little bit of advice. And there you are at the end of the week together alone. Did he or you have anything to say in those couple moments that you had together? Like, hey, look where we just ended up. I, I did see him in the lobby after he shot because everyone was staying at the same hotel. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I said, great play. And he was like, you too, man, low M, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, great job, man. And I was like, thank you. And for him to just, you know, he's he's in second place at the U.S. Open. And to keep up with that, that, that meant a lot to me. And, you know, I that that was so cool to see that and to know him a, a, little, a little more personally than most of the other people in the media. Um, but, yeah, it was – Bryce is such a cool guy, and he, he he gave me a lot of motivation this week to to find, you know, I, I, he motivated me to get stronger because watching him hit out of the rough was kind of impressive. But, yeah, I just – I thought it was so cool that he took note of how I was doing, even though I'm, to be honest, just kind of a nobody to him. But uh, I, I thought that was really cool. That's awesome. Well, I know that everyone has an opinion on his approach and his, you know, all the transformative work that he's put in. You really can't argue with the results. I mean, he's the U.S. Open champion. Um, you went out and watched him in the final round because you were, you were sticking around, obviously, for the, for the medal and for the the rest of the experience, so to speak. Are those things that you need to put into your game? I mean, I'm not going to ask. I don't think you need to have 10 protein shakes a day, but uh, I, I'm sure that length and the strength out of the rough are two things that you're looking to add. Yeah, I definitely want to get stronger, but I feel like wing foot, you know, that that course was very different from your standard PGA Tour event. Yeah, yeah. because he was right. No, no one was really hitting fairways this week, and you're probably just better off just blasting it as far as you could and try to have a wedge out of the rough instead of a six iron out of the rough because it didn't get much narrower the further you got up, it was just as narrow. And if you're going to miss the rough, I mean, fairway, you might as well just try to hit a wedge, you know, try to get as far up as you can. And uh, I think he took a good approach on that and he executed fantastically. And 
I thought that was that's pretty smart and impressive by him. Well, what's really interesting is that your driving accuracy for being T12, you were at 48%. And then Bryson was T26 at 41%. And, I mean, there's, I mean, it kind of just shows you how, I mean, the, the U.S. Open champion didn't hit half the fairways and one by six. And really nobody hit fairways. You're 100% right. Yeah. So. Well, I'm going to let you go. I know you got things that you're got to got to got to get back to school and all that uh, got to get all these things taken care of, but you mentioned you're going to Merido for the East-West matches. It's going to be you and uh, Tyler Strafacci against uh um against Mac Meisner and let's see, you're the two junior amateurs so to speak. It's mid-ams and seniors and they got a couple of younger guys. So it's you and Tyler Strafacci, the the US amateur champion for the East. And you got uh, Pearson Cootie and Mac Meisner on the West. So, who do you want to see in your singles match? I'll 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 give you the 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 floor. Who do you who do you want? You want Cootie or you want Meisner? And don't and don't forget they listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, you know, honestly, I would take either of them. They're both really talented players. So, you know, I think I think we'd have a fun match. Um, I guess I know them just about evenly I, I i know both of them I, I don't know them well and it's not like i'm i'm a stranger to them but uh i i think you know that's tough to say i i wouldn't mind playing either of them they're both great competitors great players i think it'd be fun no matter who i go up against so that's gonna be a fun week for you uh i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me through uh Really, I mean, right next to Walker Cup had to be one of the best weeks of your life. And it's always fun to catch up. Hope to see you soon. And uh, we'll do it again, my friend. Sounds good, Ben. Enjoyed it. And there you have it. Special thanks to John Pock, Low Amateur 2020 U.S. Open. Thanks to him for joining me on this episode of The Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. So we'll see you again next time here at the back of the range.